Well, right now, we're going to take time to let him walk in the door. Just give him a couple seconds here. He's old. Bent over. And uh, he's going to go over and sit. There he is. He just made it into his chair and opened up the big book. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as he pushes the microphone over in front of him, here he is, the old Dr. History. <laughs> good morning, Zeb. It's a good thing we're doing this by telephone, or, or people would really think that I'm hobbling in there. Well, I saw you the other day, and you're doing well for your age. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I can still get up and down, okay. play a little basketball. You Mo- know. More than I can. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How you doing, Zeb? Well, I'm getting better every day. Um, I'm not going to go out and be able to play basketball with you for a while, but uh, we're getting better every day. Every day is a new experience, and uh, I'm I'm just real optimistic that it's going to be not that very much longer, hopefully not another month, and I'll be able to maybe get on horses. That would be great. Uh, I know you're, you've got a goal set there, so... I do, I do. You'll make it. Well, now, you have a goal also, and that's every week of coming on this program and giving us some really neat stories of days gone by, and that's why they call you Dr. History. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to go back a little over 200 years. Oh, my. Today. Now, you, you were there and wrote this down, right? Ways, and we're going to, you know... Over the years, you've asked me, whatever happened to so-and-so, or their yeah. family, or their kids, or this and that, mm-hmm. and today, we're going to talk about a guy by the name of Baptiste Charbonneau. Really? Okay. Do you, do you remember who he was? Yeah, didn't they name a wine after him? I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, this, you know, okay, we'll just get into it, and you'll, you'll find out. So... You know, of all the strange tales that come out of the Old West, uh, perhaps none is more extraordinary than the fabulous, the true story of Sacagawea's son. Okay? Now, as an infant in his cradleboard, he had the unique distinction of being the only child and his 17-year-old mother, the only woman, to accompany the Lewis and Clark expedition, which, of course, we know explored the territory from St. Louis, Missouri, clear to the Pacific Ocean to the mouth of the Columbia River, and like I said, that was a little over 200 years ago, about 1804 through 1806. So, you know, there was a lot written about the members of the Corps of Discovery during that time, but not much is known about their later lives except for Lewis and Clark. Those are the only two that we really know much about later on in life. Okay. You know, Sacagawea's French Indian son, Baptiste, was destined to actually... Uh, catch the fancy of a prince from Europe who educated him like a nobleman in a royal castle and he made a grand tour of the European continent and when he came back here to his native land he became a prominent hunter, trader, trapper, guide, interpreter and actually a gold hunter in the California gold fields. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm going to talk a little bit about those details right now but he was actually born uh, in an earth mound lodge uh, on the Missouri River, and his birth was recorded by Captain Meriwether Lewis in his journal, February 11th, 1805. And he says in his journal, about five o'clock this morning, one of the one of the wives of Charbonneau was delivered of a fine boy. Now, Baptist's father was a guy by the name of Toussaint Charbonneau, and he'd been hired by Lewis and Clark to be the expedition's interpreter. Uh, so Toussaint Charbonneau, he, by this time he was about 47 years old mm-hmm. in 1805, and he seems to have been kind of a, 
uh, I don't know, kind of a weak-willed, kind of an excitable guy, kind of abusive toward his young 17-year-old Shoshone wife, Sacagawea. And, but, again, that wasn't uncommon among mountain men and some of the frontiersmen. They, some of them treated their wives very, very good, and some didn't, and, which was unfortunate because Sacagawea, uh, for everything I've read, is, was just a wonderful, sweet kind of gal. Mm-hmm. But his reputation wasn't too good even among uh, the fur traders, the guys that he ran around with, so to speak. But uh, anyway, various historians have stated that Sacagawea was either purchased by Charbonneau from the tribe called the Minotaries or that he won her as a gambling wager with members of that tribe. Wow. So either way, she became his wife. And okay. Now, Charbonneau's son uh, apparently inherited his mother's intelligence uh, attractive features, a cheerful good nature. Uh, in fact, in his journal, Captain Clark referred to Baptist as a beautiful, promising child and actually called him my little dancing boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but the baby was undoubtedly the most popular as well as the youngest member of this exploring party. And I guess you can imagine with a group of explorers like that with a, a young baby, uh, you know, missing their own children, they probably... Uh, really thought a lot of this uh, little baby along the trip. But sure. Anyway, Captain Clark, he'd become really fond of Baptiste, and he actually urged uh, uh, the parents to let him take uh, Baptiste and raise him as his own. And uh, Clark offered actually to set up uh, Toussaint as an interpreter uh, in a business in St. Louis. Uh, but Charbonneau and, and Sacagawea, they declined. They they didn't want to give up uh, Baptiste to uh, to Captain Clark. So now we move ahead a little bit. 1811, Baptiste now is about six years old. And uh, at some point, he was left in Clark's care uh, for a little while. But in April of that year, we know that his father and mother traveled up the Missouri River on a keelboat uh, with a guy by the name of Manuel Lisa. And he was, Manuel Lisa was kind of a, a uh, pretty famous uh, fur trader. He built a fur trapping post and one thing or another. Uh, anyway, as they traveled up the river, Sacagawea was starting to become sick, and she really wanted to get back to her village to visit them for one last time. And and Charbonneau, the father, he kind of wanted to get back into that area too. And anyway, when they got back in there, it was about 1818, and uh, this is when Sacagawea died. Mm. And she was about... She was only about 25 years old, and she'd also had a little baby girl. I see. I see. So, now, for the next few years, the records of Baptist's whereabouts are a little sketchy. Uh, there's a white trader re- that reported seeing the boy among the Mandan Indians when he was probably about 11 years old in about 1816. Uh, now, about this time, Clark uh, was superintendent of Indian Affairs, and he always wanted to educate Baptist uh, for an interpreter. So he called him on Charbonneau, uh, Toussaint, the father, and and he said, well, let me take your son, Baptist, and he had an older brother that was Toussaint Jr., and he got them and took them into uh, a, a, a school for Indians and half-breed boys in St. Louis. I see. So they were educated uh, for a while in that setting. Now, we next hear about uh, Baptiste in about June of 1823, and this is when he met a guy named Prince Paul of Württemberg, Germany. Mm-hmm. Germany. Germany. Well, uh, you know, Germany, Germany, they're all in the same continent, aren't they? <laughs> you know, that's easy to say. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, Baptiste by this time was about 18 years old, 
And the prince was also kind of a young man. He was about 26. Okay. And he'd come west in search of scientific knowledge, and he was immediately attracted to this French-Indian teenage boy, Baptiste. So now Prince Paul, uh, kind of a funny name there, I don't know, but... Anyway, he had actually trained for the military uh, in Germany, but he was more interested in other things. He was interested in science and literature and philosophy, and I don't know, might have been a little disappointment to his father. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But uh, anyway, in the course of uh, him coming to America, he actually made five trips out here to the Old West, and like I say, he took a liking to Baptiste. And uh, after they'd made some of these trips, uh, he approached... uh, William Clark, and I don't know why he went to him, but he asked if he could take Baptist back to Europe with him. And for whatever reason, uh, Clark said, yeah, you can take him over there. Mm-hmm. So this is about 1823, and they sailed over to uh, Europe. And Now, for the next six years, Baptist uh, lived in a castle near Stuttgart, Germany. Oh, my. And here he studied languages like German, English, French, Spanish, uh, which was to help him in later life to become an interpreter. But he also studied books and learning, and which, again, was unusual for a mountain man, uh, and we'll get to that later, but he traveled to France, England, uh, Germany, Africa. Uh, so for a young man, he was well-traveled. Mm-hmm. So together they returned to America about 1829, and Prince Paul uh, got permission again from Clark to go head up the Missouri River, and he had uh, about four or five guys with him, and uh, we assume that Baptiste was one of these guys. And when they got up the river ways, there was some point where they parted company, and they actually would never uh, be seen again together or for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So, now, for the next 15 years, Baptiste lived kind of the life of a mountain man. He roamed through the western wilderness as a trapper, trapping beaver. He went from the Rockies, from New Mexico to Oregon. He, we figure he probably went through this area right here. Now, did he live? Did he live as an Indian, or did he live as a white trapper? He he was a white trapper. He lived as a uh, as a mountain man trapper. I see. And uh, we know he was in, employed by the American Fur Company uh, in 1829. Again, things are a little sketchy about his life, but we know that he worked for the American Fur Company, Trappin' Beaver. Okay. And we know that he came into this Idaho-Utah area in about 1830. We know that he was over in the Malad River, Cache Valley area. Uh, he's reported as traveling with Jim Bridger and another guy named Joe Meek. Mm-hmm. And we know that he was at the Fur Trapper Rendezvous on Green River in 1833. So, you know, we just get hints of his being, like I say, in this area. Uh, but in 1839-40, he was a member of a party led, led by uh, a guy named Andrew Sublett, who again came into this area. Right. But uh, here, uh, Baptist ser- uh, served as a hunter. Uh, he, like I say, he traveled through the West quite a ways uh, and mingled with a lot of the kind of the famous uh, people of the era. So. Now, there's one point where he joined a party of sportsmen led by a guy from Scotland. His name was uh, Sir William Stewart. Oh, yeah. I I went to dinner with him one night. (laughs) Well, this guy was an interesting uh, character. came over from Scotland, and he hired a bunch of guys to to drive carts with, uh, you know, a couple of mules 
because uh, he was going to come over here and uh, just explore. And so, by this time, Bap- Baptiste is about 38 years old, and he's one of the drivers. And uh, anyway, uh, like I say, he, he's kind of driving and helping with this, this thing. And uh, they know that they went through, uh, followed the old Oregon Trail over South Pass and then into the Green River area and actually went up into the Yellowstone. I see. Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile, let's go back to Baptiste's father. Oh, yeah, I was wondering what happened to good old Toussaint. Well, Toussaint kind of divided his time between trading, interpreting, and uh, pursuing romance, if we want to call it that. Hmm, okay, you did that very well. (laughs) He tended to have a number of different wives. Uh Uh-huh. So, 1838, at age 80, Toussaint Charbonneau acquired his last wife, a 14-year-old Cinnabon Indian girl. At age 80? At age 80, you know, like I say, he was following his romantic uh, adventures. Uh, what kind of a diet was he on? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, we know that he worked for the U.S. government as an Indian agent, but by about 1819 or somewhere in there, he was broke. He had no money. He was By this time, he was about 81 years of old. Uh, the last thing we know about him, he got paid for being an Indian agent, and then he kind of vanished, and uh, he was gone. No no more word about him. I see. So, okay. So finishing up with Baptiste, uh, we know that he uh, he made a hunting excursion into the mountains with this public guy and others, and uh, and they wanted to catch bighorn sheep and antelope for this... Uh, Sir William Stewart's estate in Scotland, and they actually caught the bighorn sheep and one thing or another to send back to Scotland with this guy. Mm-hmm. So, okay, now we move ahead to about 1846. The Mexican War is uh, getting underway, and this is when uh, the government uh, inducted uh, some Mormon boys into what they called the Mormon Battalion. Okay. And this was uh, commanded by a... a, a Lieutenant Colonel Cook, and they marched uh, all the way from Missouri clear to San Diego, about 2,000 miles, but Baptiste Charbonneau went along as a guide. And uh, like I say, this military expedition had been organized by the government in Omaha, and uh, uh, the Mormon Battalion was to aid in the conquest of California during this Mexican War. How old was the guy by this time? Um, He had to be about 50 or 60, wasn't he? Okay, this is about 1846, and he was born in, what, 1804? Oh, okay. Yeah, he's about 43. Okay. Or 44, something right in there. So he was getting, for a mountain man, it's getting up there, actually. You bet. So, but anyway, he and some other guys led this wagon train across the deserts of New Mexico, Las Vegas, Arizona, uh, and they had to break uh, a road in order to make the wagons through some of this distance, and... Anyway, old Baptiste, he was dressed in a red shirt and riding a tough old army mule, and he's mentioned in diaries of some of the others as uh, preceding the caravan, searching for water over passes through the mountains. Uh, He was really good at this, I guess, uh, trying to find ways to get across some of the canyons. And in addition to this, Colonel Cook tells uh, in his journal of Baptiste's skill in selecting routes, trapping beaver, establishing camps, scouting, estimating distances, 
and I thought this was interesting, locating smoke signals. Well, wait a minute. I've got, I've got a question for you right here. All of a sudden, you've triggered something in my mind to where I remember, I can't remember if it was in a movie called Centennial or if it was in the movie How the West Was Won or something like that, but I remember now the name Baptiste Charbonneau, and did he, he always wore that red shirt, and did he not also wear a stovepipe hat? Uh, you know, it doesn't say that anything I've read here. Oh. Uh, they've got a an artist's uh, description of him, uh, and he's just basically dressed like a mountain man. I see. You know, the long I hair, see. the long coat, the, the rifle, the powder horn, mm-hmm. the knife. I see. So I, I don't know that I can say that for sure or not. Okay. So, but like I say, he, he hunted bears, he fought Indians, and... Uh, he was a great service to these guys getting to San Diego. So, but uh, anyway, the colonel also recorded uh, some incidences that happened. Uh, he said, uh, "Since uh, he, this is from his diary, he says, since dark, Charbonneau has come in. His mule gave out. He says, and he stopped for it to rest and feed a half an hour. When going to when going to saddle it, it kicked at him and ran off. He said he followed a number of miles and finally shot it." <laughs> that's a good old Charbonneau. <laughs> if you've been around mules, sometimes that's the best thing you can do with them is shoot them. Uh, so he says, partly, I suppose, from anger, and partly, he says, to get his saddle and pistols, which he brought back to camp. <laughs> so, you know, you don't want to leave your mule out there running around with your all your gear on it. No, heaven's so, sake, just shoot the son of a gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get your stuff back. So. Anyway, so after the Mormon battalion arrived at its headquarters in San Diego, Baptist was kind of discharged, and the last 19 years of his life was actually spent in California. Mm. And so this adventurous hunter, trader, trapper, guide, interpreter, next turned up in the Sacramento Valley in about 1848 or 49, and of course that's when the discovery of gold at Sutter's Mill took place. And... uh, you know, he so he just hung around there for a while, and he met up with some of his old trapper buddies, and uh, uh, he probably hunted for gold, but it doesn't say he really uh, had any success that way. But now about this time, this prince from Germany shows up. He's back he's in the picture again. I'll be darned. He, okay, he comes back in. Okay, he's in California, uh-huh. and he's visiting Captain John Sutter at his fort. My but goodness, we don't know if they the two got together. It doesn't. There's no proof that they ever actually got together again. I see. So, anyway, so uh, we really, again, don't know for sure all of his wanderings, but we do know that uh, finally, uh, the final entry is about his life, uh, this educated, much-traveled French-Indian son of Sacagawea. The next thing we read about is his obituary. In 1866, mm-hmm. uh, an obituary showed up in the newspaper in Auburn, California. And he was, according to the obituary, he was about 61 years old. Mm-hmm. And they think that he died of pneumonia. Okay. And there was a, the, he's buried supposedly somewhere between Sacramento and Boise, Idaho, out in that Owyhee area. Really? Somewhere along the Oregon, Idaho line out in that area somewhere there was a stage station that they think he was at on his way to boise died and basically 
is in, in an unidentified grave somewhere out there in the middle of nowhere in that Owyhee Desert. I'll be darned. And he actually probably, right where I'm sitting, right now in Murtaugh, probably had his moccasins on the ground right here. Well, you know, I, I'm sitting here and, uh, you know, right along the Snake River where I'm at, I'm thinking he probably walked through here, too. Oh, my goodness sakes. You know, along with Jim, you know, Jim Bridger and some of those other trappers, they, they came all the way down through here looking for beaver. Oh, my goodness. You know, really, yeah, when you think about it, stuff, when you think about it and where we are... And what happened in the old days? You know, I was going to ask you real quick, and I'm almost out of time. I've only got a minute left, but I would like you to do kind of a, a little history sketch on Star Falls, which is just a mile north of me, and about the fur trappers that lost their lives down there in that uh, cauldron, the cauldron Lynn. And uh, we ought to do a story on that because, boy, I'll tell you what, I can understand why that would happen. The water's so calm, and then all of a sudden it goes into that torrent, and it's terrible down there. And I'll bet you that was a dangerous dangerous, dangerous thing for the fur trappers to have to try to avoid. Well, that was the Wilson Hunt Price party. Yeah, that yeah. Went down through there, and that was the first recorded death of a white man in in Idaho. Really? Yeah, that, that was, and you're exactly right. It's right there at the Cauldron Lynn, and anybody who's seen that in high water, <sighs> in low water. Oh, my. Uh, that is a... <laughs> Had to be a terrible place to try to go through with a canoe. Very spooky. Listen, that yeah. was interesting. Uh, Baptiste Charbonneau, the son of Sacagawea. And the son of Toussaint Charbonneau. Yeah, but he's kind of an also-ran. <laughs> he, he, he was a... Uh, it's a good thing he took after his mother. I'm That's still I'm saying. still sitting here thinking about being 81 years old and marrying a 14-year-old. I mean, oh, my. <laughs> I think maybe he just wanted a nursemaid. Okay, I think he did. Hey, great <laughs> job. Final years. Great job, Dr. History. In his real life, he's a chiropractor known as Dr. Ken Turner. And, uh, Ken, are we any further along on that project? Hurry, I've only got 30 seconds left. We are. In fact, I... Uh, emailed something to you. I don't know if you ever got it, though. Um, you still not get that? I, I got the uh, caricature of what uh, it's going to look like. Okay, yeah. Yes, very well okay, done. So very well done. Yeah, we're moving ahead on that. Okay.